man said don't ask me all i know is you'll be sorry sorry when i'm dead dead and gone in a bitchin place of glory holding a grudge can take a lifetime and there's a lot that i got to say i'll tell it to the What is up, everybody? Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. This is Sean Arnold. I've been working on my Ted Koppel intro. That's the best I got. Uh, <laughs> joining me tonight is a buddy of mine uh, from the tundra, the great state of Wisconsin, Judd Blau. What's up, dude? All right, man. I'm good. Thank you for coming on and doing this. I'm glad you didn't go Chris Berman and say the frozen tundra. No, I, I couldn't. I no boom. You'll get no boom. <laughs> no boom yeah. impressions out of me. Um, so Judd, it's kind of interesting. It's one of those, and this is weird. This is one thing I was going to ask you about because there, I'm I'm podcasting with another guy in a week or so. Um, because the background here is that we know each other and we've talked plenty online, like on Facebook, but we right. met. We sort of met through mutual Facebook friends, and we're not really we've never even talked like we've never seen each other but we just you know it's like we're in the same threads and you've said things that that i laughed at or you and you know whatever and and then it's like this guy's cool (laughs) and so that's well that's the thing i love about social media is i get uh so whenever we go somewhere i invariably don't talk to the people i'm with i usually find new people to talk to just because i like to find uh, out about other people and other things right and yeah, our mutual friend on social media. I, I was, should have looked today. I was going to look to see how long we've been friends on Facebook. But um, it, it initially started on political discussions. And yeah. you and I don't necessarily see eye to eye politically, which is fine. But I always respected your opinion. And people would ask me, how come you can be friends with these guys? I'm like, well, I respect his opinion. Like, he, you know, it, it's making me more informed about the topic, right? And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't change your mind. No, but it maybe softens it or I never considered that. Maybe it's something I need to take into account, you know? Yeah. Holy crap. We've been friends since 2010. So, um, yeah. I just looked it up. Um, no, you're hundred percent right. And and that's, what's interesting because, I, and here's my, this is what people don't seem to understand. And, and I've gotten now to where I've, I've kind of, I mean, honestly, I was so fried after the election cycle that I almost had to just step away. Like, and I don't even mean yeah. from conservatives, which obviously I generally sit on the liberal side of the house. Um, just everyone it, because it was just so crazy and I just got fatigued from it all. And I just needed, yeah. I just needed a minute. But the thing is, is like, I tell people it is it, it, cause really I'm a moderate. Right. It, it, and, and I, I feel like most people are moderates, right? It's just all the inputs and most of the stuff you get is way out on the fringes. And you know, I, there are conservative things that I actually agree with. Like it's not a zero sum game. That's, that's my whole problem with the system right now is they've set this zero sum game up where it's either you got to be all the way on this side or all the way on that side, or you cannot play. Mm -hmm. I I, agree. I hate that. (laughs) Yep. Nope. I agree. I, I, well, so I live in, you would, you, well, you, you probably wouldn't fit in here in Dane County either because you're not uh, uber liberal, right? So I live in, in uh, I mean, in Seattle, we give Seattle and San Francisco and Portland a pretty good run for their money here in Dane County from the liberal perspective. And they are way off, way off to the left. Um, really? So I look like, so I look like I'm way off to the right when I, I'm pretty. 
I don't think you're way off to the right. <laughs> I, From I'm listening to you talk. Centrist, I'm moderate. You know, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, gay rights when that, you know, that was a whole big deal. Who cares? I don't, I don't care what you do. Like it, government shouldn't be involved in, in marriage anyways. Yeah. I mean, so, it, it feels like people tend to fall in. I mean, that's, you know, I, maybe it's even become trite now, but it feels like a lot of people fall into this, like fiscally concerned. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to pay a lot of taxes. I don't want the government to waste money. And right. I don't really care what you do as long as it doesn't bother me. <laughs> yep. But the, but the fringes, as you say, uh, are the ones that elected officials seem to, uh, kowtow to. They, they're like, I gotta, I gotta fall in line. Cause otherwise I'm not going to get reelected. Um, and that's, I don't know, that's just, it's a shame. They're, they're obviously, uh, it's, a, it's a power trip. It's a money thing, I think, as you get up into the higher echelons of the world of politics. And uh, they're not in it for the right reason, I don't think. Yeah, and I think Most even, of them. even if they do, I think that the way that it's set up, you invariably have to serve a lot of masters. And, yep. and those masters aren't your constituents, which should be the primary master you're, you're serving. Right. Um, so before we get into this, one thing about and one of the big reasons why I want to have there's a few reasons, but one of the big reasons is you are the president of the village of DeForest where you live Correct. in Wisconsin. So because we don't have that in the South and, you know, a lot of my listeners do. He's basically the mayor. I know the powers are different. I did a little research. I know that the way that it's structured, like the legislative arm and, and I understand that it's not quite the same. But functionally, if someone is trying to understand it, it's like a mayorship, right? Correct. Yes. yes. It, I, I, I'm instead of me having the veto authority, I'm just I'm, I'm basically one of seven. I set the agenda. Um, I have to sign all the documents. Um, but, you know, you're the face of the community. Um, you know, I, 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 I have a little more uh, authority or, or in, and, and sway and input into things. There are some things I can make a decision on that I that they'll come to me and say, hey, we need to decide this now. And I'll say, yeah, go ahead and do that, you know, or um, rather than waiting two weeks for the next board meeting and trying to get input. But it's it's being basically a mayor. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't don't have villages down there. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have villages here. So. Right. It's a little different. Um, Incidentally, my wife's mother. I don't don't know if you ever taught this. My wife's mother was the president of the village of Glenview outside of outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, Nice. And that's actually a crazy story because she was the president of the village when they closed the Glenview Naval Air Station, which was, I think, at Ooh, the time, that, the largest naval air station in the country. Um, that had been a hit to them. Uh, yeah, it's a funny. You know what? I'll tell it. I get to talk and brag on my mother-in-law, and then you can talk about this because this is clearly. I mean, I don't. You know, Glenview is a pretty decent-sized town. I don't know how it is relative to size. From DeForest, but you know, it's a Chicago suburb. It's not crazy big, you know, but that was clearly the primary, you know, jobs, you know, all that. I mean, even though there were government, you know, and military, there were private contracts. Just was it was enormous. It took up tens of thousands of acres of space and just this whole thing. So she actually just her story is interesting because she was a school teacher and then she got sort of fed up with how the the politics of school, so she decided to run for school board. Then she ended up being school board president. And then, <laughs> you know, then she was like, well, I guess I could go run for, you know, village president. And at the time, you know, she jokes. I knew she knew it was one. Of she's like, you know, I'll just open shopping centers and cut ribbons and stuff and it'll be fun. Um, <laughs> and then, like, literally almost right into her term, she gets the news that they're closing this thing down. And 
I apologize if I tell the story wrong, but then all of a sudden she sort of goes in overdrive going, oh my gosh, now we have a responsibility to the community to figure out what we're going to do, right? There's going to be buildings and, you know, all this, this is just going to be this huge gaping hole um, yep. in the community. And then I think the state of Illinois called her and said, we want to put a prison there. To which she, she replied, uh, no. <laughs> um, so believe it or not, and this was quite a while ago, um, she got with urban planners and all these people, and um, I don't know the timeline exactly, but it was effectively one of the first mixed-use type projects. So she did affordable housing with regular housing. She took all the old buildings and converted it into retail and office, like mixed retail office and living. Um, she went out and they found all these, you know, retailers to come in and the net of it. And they created parks and with a lot of the green space. And, you know, they I think they put in a golf course and, you know, th there was a number of things they put in. But I think the net of it when it was all said and done was there were more jobs, net jobs than before um, the air station left. So she totally heroed it. Right. And then right. Uh, and then, believe it or not, got a call from. I think this is story, part of the story is right. I don't know if he, but pre President Bush basically, and huh. um, asked her to sit on the 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 BRAC commission, um, which are the people that you know what happens when we close a base, right. um, and so she did that. So she's she sat on that for a while, and um, you know at the at the behest of the president, and then uh, and uh, then got out of when her term was over, she actually got into urban planning. And so she worked for the largest urban planning group for the city of Chicago after that. And her, you know, really was like sort of revitalizing communities. And she still does that today. But um, it's a pretty, it's crazy her journey. But I mean, you know, it, it's such a, I just, you can't imagine. I mean, I know she was in sort of an impossible spot and she made the most of it. And they've tried to keep her coming back. I think even President Obama asked her, you know, to serve and, and um, she, you know, and wanted her. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, talked about potentially her coming and being an undersecretary in housing and urban development. And she was not going to live in Washington. She's like, I'll help, but I'm not moving to D.C. So um, that's you know, probably a smart decision not to move to D.C. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's a bit of a long story. She's great. The bomb, right? She's really smart. Like she's super modest, but, but that's a crazy situation, right? Like, I mean, can you imagine if somebody just came in one day and just said, whatever the biggest thing is here, we're just shut it down. <laughs> like the biggest revenue generator or economy or whatever, like it's just going to be gone. It, that's uh yeah, it's, I don't know how you, you it's hard to compensate for that. Uh, especially if it's, you know, when you're a little community, uh, Madison just recently, Oscar Meyer, uh, you know, the hot dog guys, uh, they said they're closing the plant that's been in Madison forever. Uh, this was a year or two ago. Um, and you can absorb it a little bit better in a larger community, right? You can tolerate um, some of those things, but it's still going to leave a big empty space. It'll be interesting to see what city of Madison does with that property. And if they revitalize it, if they, if somebody else comes in there to use that space, it's hard. It, it, and, I guess, you know, uh, what is it, the necessity of genius or whatever. The, the There's a phrase that I'm forgetting now, uh, but mother. Uh, the Necessity yeah, is the mother of invention. That's it. That's it. Yep. You got it. Um, you know, when your back's against the wall, that's when you come up with some great ideas and say, all right, this, let's try this. This is going to work. Yeah. So and that's, you know. I mean, that's tough, right? Like, I just, I think about being in that scenario, and I, I mean, she, I mean, there were other, it wasn't just her, I mean, there were clearly other people, but they all had a little bit of vision, you know what I mean? And were able to go and, and execute on it, which, um, and it worked out great. I mean, it's been, it's been great for the, for the village. I want to say the city, but I guess it's the village. 
But see, there's a, you just you said a key thing though to me that's important is there were other people, right? And that's where if you if you live to the fringes, you don't get to uh, get to the best answer, right? Compromise usually delivers the best answer, and or getting a lot of additional input from a lot of other people can really make things different. Well, uh, obviously, when I, when I first ran for the village board, I looked at this, and we're so we're uh, five miles from the airport. Dane County Regional Airport, right? Uh, and I was like, all these biotech firms are building on the far west side of Dane County. So the, all these people got to drive long distance, you know, 20 minutes, which I, not a big deal. I know I, I, well, I used to sell radio advertising and <laughs> I'd sell traffic reports and uh, some of the ad agencies in Chicago would laugh at me like traffic. Haha. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it, four minutes is a big deal here. It's, it's not an hour. Like totally, you guys. It's totally relative. But uh I said, but these, you know, they're driving all this, you know, 20 minutes, one way to get to the airport that, you know, I said, why aren't they building here? They're five minutes from the airport. They're out They're in, they're out. They want to bring people in, you know, they're, they're right here. They can get them back to the airport quick. Um, but we're also right on the main I-90-94 corridor. Um, so we're two hours from Chicago. We're three and a half hours from Minneapolis. Um, we just weren't doing it. And, and then we looked and, and probably about this was probably uh, I was a trustee first for three years um and so probably about my, my third term just before I'm president I was, it dawned on me I'm like you know we're trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole this just isn't going to work uh we got to know what we are and what we are is transportation warehousing moving things in and out and once we embrace that um and then the economy uh, came back around that we've, we've seen a lot of things to take off from that. And it's understanding what you are, knowing what you do well, and then playing to those strengths. And the more people you can get to collaborate and help you, um, the stronger you're going to be. So how does, how does someone that is that to your point is farther right than most end up mm -hmm. getting into that position in a, in what we've said is a pretty liberal place. Uh, so, well, we're in the burbs, right? So we're just, uh, the forest is, uh, you know, five miles from Madison, 10 miles from Madison. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's probably a 60, 40 split here. There's, there's still some conservatives, but local government, it's a nonpartisan position. It's a right. nonpartisan post. And I'm not ever, uh, you know, the things I, the things we're working on are, for the betterment of the community. It's not for, you know, we're not dealing with health insurance. We're not dealing with right. national uh, defense, you know, local defense, things, right. It's stuff. You have police and fire, right. You have to deal with all that. Right. Yep. Um, and, but again, there are people out here, they move here because one, you want a little more land, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, uh, I remember uh, I got in an a discussion, not an argument, a discussion with a fellow board member who said, we got to start building up. It's all about, you know, we got to uh, sustainability and not not leaving a carbon footprint. I was like, well, right. But if people want to live up, they can live downtown Madison. They've got 12 story condo developments on the isthmus, beautiful views of the lake. We don't have that. And that's not why people move here. They move here because they want some space. They want a yard for their kids to run around in. They want to know who their neighbors, um, you know, it, 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 again, it's knowing what you are and what you, what you can do. 
Um, so they, you know, people are supportive of our police in the, in our town, um, the fire district, you know, it's, it's, they understand what they do. We have volunteer fire department. Um, you know, everybody works together to, to make it better. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, when we have, I mean, here again, uh, same thing, like I, and that's another problem I have with sort of modern federal, national politics is there's so much nuance, right? Like, I, I don't understand why we've thrown the nuance out, right? Like, everything can't be all things to all people, right? It's complicated. You know, it's just yep. acknowledge that it's complicated, that first, right? That's, you know, it's like, it's not about platitudes. It's not about what you can get into a 20-second soundbite, right? Like, most problems are really, are complicated, right? There's not an mm-hmm. easy answer. And it's okay to say that, you know what I mean? Like, it, I feel like sometimes... You know, people, and it's not just politicians, I think people that discuss it or whatever, it's like you always have to speak to the least, you know, they're always trying to speak to the least common denominator. And I'm like, "Mm, you just can't do that sometimes. Like sometimes you just are going to, if a conversation needs to be up here, then we just going to have to, and and if people can't follow it, then somebody's going to have to interpret, but it's complicated and here's why it's complicated, right? Right. Oversimplification, oversimplification to me creates lots of issues. So I post on Facebook political things, um, one to foster discussion, but two to make people see it, right? Learn about what they're, what's going on, um, and take a stand in it. And I, I've I've slowly gotten away from it just because people just don't care, and uh, and that's sad, you know. When you have, you know, I, I so I'm a village president. And I, I maybe I think I'm a little highly of myself, and but local politics has just as great an impact on your day to day life as what happens in Washington, D.C. More. Or what I'd happens at your state more. capital. More. I think it's probably more. More. Yeah. It, I, I think it's more as well. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, there, there's so many things that I could do. You know, I could, we could decide, you know what, we're not going to plow the snow. Good luck getting to work. <laughs> you know, but those things we have to do. We have to accomplish those those tasks when it happens. And, um, but, and, and, I, I just got reelected uh, to be village president. I ran unopposed. Uh, so, you know, I didn't get the, the, the there's not going to be a massive turnout for my, my position, but I'm on the ballot and we've got three trustee seats open, six people running. I think we had a total of 30% turnout for voting. That's, that's bad. Right. Yeah. I, when the presidential one we had, I, I don't remember what that was. It was, a you know, much higher, which is great. Um, to see that kind of civic engagement, but that's the only time you see it is every four years. Uh, you know, every the the off year elections, it's not near as great a turnout, and that's where I think you sometimes can get those wild swings, and that's where uh, those guys who are on the off don't have to work as hard, and uh, and they're then they're more beholden to who's ever funding their campaign. Yeah, and it's almost you know it's weird. It seems like unfortunately, it it for a lot of people, it's until you get it until someone gets impacted. I mean, that's going to be so. Here, I'm even guilty of this, right? Because I pay attention, you know, I pay attention to the national stuff because it's almost. I mean, I care about it, right? But it's almost a sport, you know what I mean? Like it's almost a point where it's just a sport. Like I'm going to go see what you know conversation I can get in and you know do whatever. But um, and I do care. Like that's the other thing too. Like I think there's way too much. Um, I consider myself a patriot, right? Like I love America. I am grateful for what we have. I think it's the greatest government on the planet. It needs work, but it's still better than everywhere else. Um, yep. it, it's 
our founders were geniuses. That you know, I mean, the Constitution is the greatest, probably single document in the history of the world. Um, it, you know, all that. It, but here, and here's the thing. But I'm liberal, and I know there. But you know, and I know conservatives that are just as patriotic that love America just as much. It just comes to this thing. It's like, well, you must hate America, and it's like, well, no, I don't. I mean, that's crazy. And then, you know, but the same thing, like on the other way is saying, well, you hate, you know, it's like, it's really not. It's just about people having different ideas about how to get there. And, you know, my issue is, is I don't care that people have different ideas. It's just that it seems like nobody wants to sit down in a room anymore and say, all right, well, where's, where do we land here? Right? Like, where's the middle ground where we can sort of, you know, address everyone? At least I know you can't always address everyone, but you know, try to because the whole thing is, I guess I can't remember who told me that if you're in a meeting where you have to compromise and both sides don't walk away a little bit pissed off, it wasn't successful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. No, everybody should feel like they lost a little bit and everybody should feel like they gained. And I think that's where the best comes. One of the trustees, um, who, uh, uh, he and I would get into conversations on Facebook a lot. He's, he's, um, uh, pretty liberal. Um, and so on the national topics uh, on Facebook, we would get into it or whatever. And, um, people think, well, you must hate him. I, well, I don't hate him, but, and that's the problem. I think that people say, well, you got to hate him, right? No, I don't have to hate him. We have a difference of opinion. That's all. It's not the end of the world. Dude's a great guy. I can sit down and talk with him about football or baseball, uh, you know, any, any other number of topics. Um, and you know, we can agree on 95% of the things, but there are some things we just disagree on and that's all right. But that's, I think, and I said, after he got, he and I both got elected and I said to him, I said, I'm glad you got reelected. I said, I always appreciate your opinion and, and your other side. And there was a friend of mine sitting by who was conservative. He's like, Ooh, that's going to not, I'm going to tell people you said that. I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> that's fine. You know, they don't do that in the, the the state. They don't do it at the federal level where they nobody can walk across the aisle and just sit down and and be friends with them anymore. If, if they're seen fraternizing with the enemy, it's oh, lights game over. Lights out. We're a long ways from Ronald Reagan and Tipper Gore, brother. Right. Or it's Tipper Gore. Tip O'Neill. Oh, my Tip gosh. O'Neill. Yeah. Well, I was thinking yeah. about Al Gore's wife for some reason. <coughs> um, it, you know, and them having scotch at the end of the day and, you know what I mean, sorting shit out. Like it, yep. it's just, and I, it's a shame, right? That, that we all, we're the ones who lose, right? In that situation, all of us, like all of us that are just, you know, regular citizens. I mean, because there's all this, right. this huge, this like national pissing match that seems to go on every single friggin' day. Um, yep. but, um, and that's the thing I tell people too. Like I, I have, I have opinions. I generally only try to give an opinion from an informed place, right? So that's the other thing, too. I try to do my research. But um, most of the time, when I get into it online, you know what pisses me off way worse than a political opinion I I don't agree with? It's bad bad information. Like, I I just don't like bad facts, right? And and, And that's where I get really frustrated because... You know, you. I'm happy to talk to anybody about any position they have, as long as it comes from a place where it's informed, um, it's reasonable, they can speak rationally about it, and it's not based on some cock, cocky, you know, information. Like if right. the information's all cocked up, I'm like that's when I'm just gonna get 
heated because I'm like, your information's bad. Like <laughs> that that would have that 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 flew in eighteen eighty, right? But we live in a <laughs> yeah. technological marvel of an age. You want anything, it's there. It's at your fingertips. It's called Google or Bing or whatever one you like to use. Type it in the search engine and you're gonna find your information. And you gotta go to a reputable source too. That's the other the old fake news thing, right? Uh well the downside uh, is is that you're right, it's all there, but now it's the problem is is like five of them are right and thirty of them are just nonsense. And it's like whether right, well, or not people can sort through the, the the separate the wheat from the chaff. Yep. You find what what uh, lines up with your opinions and oh well this uh, this this proves it. Yeah, so. ugh, it's just so I can't even I mean, I don't but to your point, like I think that the way that you learn, that's why people say the same thing about me because they know how I am and I see all my conservative friends on Facebook. They're like, your friend, and I'm like, yeah, because you don't learn it. Like, if I just sat in a room talking with a bunch of people that just thought exactly the way I did, I'd never learn anything. Like, yep. that's, that doesn't, that doesn't help. Like, you know, it's, it's because to, you know, because again, people like you, my best friend in the world, you know, one of my best friends in the world, this guy named Chad, who I played baseball with in college, um, he's pretty conservative. But because we because we care about each other and we can have a conversation, like he has changed my mind. Like I have moved on positions, right? Like because yeah. I, I said, "Wow, you know what? I never thought about it that way." And that's a that's a fair point. That's yeah. four words I tell people all the time that they should work into their lexicon if they don't have. That is a fair point. It is okay to tell someone you do not lose the argument if you tell someone they made a good they made a reasonable point. <laughs> exactly and if it's if it, you know there's facts that it's a to deny that it's it's a fact or to deny that it's a good point you you actually lose by digging in further and you, you know i i see it all the time and then it, th- this is where i lose it is when people start to devolve into name calling right Ugh, yeah um, and it's just like okay uh, or the, the I, no i i'm not a big i'm not keen on you're on the wrong side of history um, to me, that's the uh, uh, conversation ender. Like, well, I'm just going to throw this out there. Good luck trumping that. And it's like, that's not, you know, yes, but maybe I will be on the wrong side of history, but we won't know that. <laughs> maybe I'll know it in my lifetime, but probably not. Well, I mean, again, it's like, do you want you know, it? And that's when you know you probably should just eject from the conversation. Because the question is, is do you want to actually yeah. have a conversation about this or is this just going to be us yelling at one another. And if we're just going to yell at one another, I could go home and do that with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just, yeah. Well, okay. So United, uh, fiasco with the guy getting drug off the plane and all yeah. that nonsense. Sure. Um, there were wrongs on all sides, right? Absolutely. Uh, United doesn't have this. The, I don't think they have the appropriate, uh, policy to, uh, incentivize people to, to leave the plane voluntarily. Um, and I get there's some people that aren't ever going to leave. Um, but, but this guy that wouldn't get off when he was told by a security officer or well, it's a police officer, uh, an airport security guy there, you're on a, you're on a plane. It's not, they don't, you have no right, uh, to just disobey an order. Right. Uh, and his failure to do, to leave, uh, I don't want to say he got what he deserved, um, but you know there there's a point in time where they have to get you off the plane, one way or another, uh, and you can either do so peacefully and then deal with it after the fact, or you can 
Like he ended up, they drag him off, right? I think they jumped to that a little too quick. Um, but I got in this discussion on Facebook, uh, and a buddy of mine works for United, and I had messaged him. I said, dude, tell me the story on this. Help me understand, you know, what's what happened here. And he's like, he's like, he starts off with a couple of good curse words and says, I don't like how we've handled this from the get-go, meaning his company. Uh, but then, uh, and from a PR standpoint, but then he's like, but this guy is also wrong. He ran back on the plane. He assaulted a stewardess. He, you know, he was he was clearly in the wrong. And so I, I messaged this guy and, and said, here's what happened. It's not being reported in the news for whatever reason. Um, you can take it for what you want or, or not. I don't care. But it's from a friend of mine who works at United. And I've known the dude since I've been 12, right? So, like, I, it's legit. He's not spinning anything. He's not towing the company line because he started off saying railing on his own company to begin with. Well, the guy then turned around and just started, you know, well, oh, you're a crazy cooking conservative. You don't know this and, and all this other stuff. And I was like, all right. Well, I said, you can take it for what it's worth. And, and I don't need to hear it. Well, then he brought, then he took a clip of that, posted it on the Facebook page. And I was like, all right, now you're being a dick. <laughs> like, you know, I was just trying to do it offline. Not, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to show you up or say it, but so those are the kinds of things. That's where I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm out. That's where social media just. Well, again, as I mentioned before, right. Shades of gray. I actually had, cause here, and again, people want to run to sides, right? So right when that thing, and this is what I, and I do this for both sides and people. And I tell people that get into me, I'm consistent. You can go back as far as you want because, because I'm vocal. People will often go, well, what do you think? And I go, I don't know. I don't have enough information yet, right? Like, let me, yep. I mean, would this thing just hit TMZ like 30 seconds ago? Like, I don't know. I mean, I can give you an initial thought. Like, I saw the video and I'm like, oh, that looks really rough. You know what I mean? Like, it's really aggressive. But, I mean, we've only got this much video, so I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if the guy deserved it. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm not just going to. But that's the thing. So, you know, your liberals are going to run off and accuse the cops of being, you know, of too aggressive and accuse the company of being the nasty big company. And then the conservatives want to run off and say, you know, it's the companies have rights and the cops are always the best. And, you know, and it couldn't be. And I'm like, well, hang on. Maybe it's all these things. Because to your point, I think that um, if United had just kept offering more money and vouchers, they would have eventually gotten the four people they needed to just voluntarily leave the plane. I mean, you're talking about my wife who's platinum medallion or whatever and flies constantly. And Delta does this all the time. You know, we're in Delta's here. It's headquarters in Atlanta. So we're obviously in Delta country, but she's been there all the time. It's like, we need five people to get off $400 vouchers, 800, 1200, 1500. And eventually you'll get your four people off, right? right? Like it'll happen. They made their up twice and they just decided that was it. And again, I don't even think that there's anything wrong with that legally. They're, they're, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Um, and it says right there in their T's and C's that they can, pull you off the plane so they right. did they didn't nobody reads of course Does anybody read those no of course but the reality is is that whether you don't or not you've you've by buying a ticket you've agreed to them i work exactly. in the technology world and this is the beef i make all the time with people that talk about apps and facebook and stuff and you know when people complain about facebook i'm like oh yeah this huge piece of complicated software that lets you connect with people all over the world and share pictures and put your kids pictures up and watch recipes and do all this stuff that you don't pay a fucking dime for like yeah you should definitely complain Right. Like, yeah. you know, and 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 on top of that, that when you say you will agree to this stuff, when you do it, you are agreeing to do it. Here's the thing. If you're this mad, just shut it off. 
If you're that pissed off yep. at Facebook, just get off the platform. But you won't because you like it and you need it. So stop being such a bitch and just <coughs> and just deal with it. So anyways, so there's all that. And he was in. And then to your point, they handled it horribly. Their CEO did an absolutely brutal job of dealing with it. The bad statement, you know, made a statement that was sort of vague, then made a bad statement, then backtracked and made another. So that's a disaster. Again, my wife is a reporter, right? So that's kind of her world. I mean, and she's. In fact, there have been circumstances, and I can't say who or what, where she has been brought in to teach CEOs of companies what happens if you have to go sit down in front of CNN and Fox and all that and what they're going to ask you and how to answer questions. And those guys don't have that skill, a lot of them. So um, anyways, um, they screwed up there. To your point, I mean, again, I'm I'm a fan of the police. <laughs> I mean, they look out for me. I love our my Smyrna, the police here in Cobb County and Smyrna. I talked to David Lee, our chief from time to time. He's great. Um, they do a hard job. I think it was rough. I think that it looked bad. I think that perception is reality. I don't know that he was, you know, a threat. It, you know, and that's the thing. And maybe this is my fault. But like, if that guy was me, you know what I mean? 42, 6'4", 240 pounds. You know what I mean? Like causing a scene. Then you know, hit me over the head with a brick, right? Like it's a seventy-year-old little Asian dude. You know what I mean? Like it, you know. So so that's their error. And then his error is acting like a jackass when he agreed that they could, you know, when he bought the ticket that they could pull him off the plane. Like, so that's the thing is like, everybody's got some right. culpability here. Right. But, and, and yep. you can't just say like, but the, but people don't like that. People want to, there's a hero and a villain and, and everybody yep. wants to paint it that way. And it, and that's rarely true. It's rarely, it's rare. they right. heroes and villains are when, you know, a school teacher, you know, buys books and shit for her class. Um, or when a cop, you know, or a firefighter pulls two babies out of a burning building, right? Like when a guy throws a temper tantrum at United and then United overreacts and the cops over, there's no heroes and villains in that story. <laughs> no. Nope. Yes. No, it, it, yeah, it, 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 uh, it's infuriating. Right. And that, those are the things that, sometimes drive me nuts is the, the, the overcompensation, the, the way swing that you, you gotta, uh, you know, the evil corporation. Well, no, they've got some rights. They've got, they, you know, if, if you send that tube up in the air with a, with somebody who's not going to follow the rules and you lock them in a tube, that's 30,000 feet above the ground. Now you have even less options of how to handle this. So they're going to get them off the plane sooner. There was a, so the, shortly thereafter, now you hear all these airline stories, right? And everybody's videotaping everything. Uh, there was some Wisconsin guy who uh, the plane taxied and he said, I got to go to the bathroom. So he got up uh, while the plane is taxiing down the tarmac, went to the restroom and the, the steward or stewardess said, sir, you can't be up. We're taking off. You have to go to your seat. So he turned around, went back to his seat. But then he said, I guess felt like, no, I really got to go. So I'm going right now. So he just turned around and went back. And so that stopped the flight, the plane from even being able to take off. They taxied back to the gate and took the guy off and he was complaining about it. I'm like, well, it's for your safety, dude. Like the plane is about to take off and, and it's the movie airplane where the guy's shaving in there and they're going <laughs> through turbulence and he comes out and he's a bloody mess. And it's just like, that's why, I mean, they're not doing it just because they want to. They're it's, not every, saying, oh, it's everyone else's safety too. It's everyone else's safety too. 
Yes. Because what if Everybody. something happens and he lands on someone else or, you know, or then somebody feels compelled to try to help him if something happens. And now you've got it's just I'm a rules guy. You know, I'm I'm a rules yep. follower. I mean, it's it's just I don't you know, I try to, you know, stay within reason of the speed limit. I try to, you know, if people put the little stanchions up with the like my wife's a rope jumper. Like this is the this is the end all be all. You know, if people set up the stanchions that have the rope line, you know, where you sort of weave through it, like at the airport. Yeah, I'm the one that'll just go through it because there's an arrow that says enter here, even if there's no one there. And my wife will just go hop the three to get right over because she's like, no one's here. I don't. And, and I'm not saying that either one of those things are wrong. I just think it's 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 more it's just conducive to your personality. I'm just a rules guy. Yep. Well, I agree. You gotta follow rules. It's like you never put bourbon with uh, with coke in my opinion that's just my rule yeah or you no. don't wear a concert t-shirt to the concert you're at yeah you, you, you don't wear that guy's concert shirt that's just the that's just bad bad form there is one i will say there is one caveat to the bourbon with coke you can yeah. put shitty bourbon with coke well okay yes because can you there really is, call it bourbon if it's shitty bourbon well no but i'm just saying there are these circumstances where i've been at events or parties or whatever and you look at the thing and there's and, and there's only a certain kind of thing there and i'm like well I, the only way I'm going to be able to stand this is if I put eight, you got a mask 10 yep. ounces of sugar water on top of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, and anyway, I'll say it, Jack Daniels. When I go to a thing and all they've got is Jack Daniels, which I refer to as Tennessee piss water, um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them put all the Coke in it. <laughs> like, right. like all the Coke they can find. But if it's a hey, box. Usually I'm like, just wave the, wave the uh, Coke over the top. But when it's that kind of stuff. No, just wave the jack over the top, just so I can get a hint of some sort of a whiskey, but more cold, please. Yeah, ab no, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the downside, too, as my college roommate um, went to law school at the University of Kentucky, and uh, he still lives there in Frankfurt, and I have been driving up there for the last 20 years, ever since he started. Is that right? 20 years. Jesus. Um, We're old, man. Ever, yeah, ever since he started... Uh, college you know and then like we started going on all the distillery tours and I, I go up there every summer to play in a golf tournament and i mean it's just i mean that's where i got my bourbon education you know is just going to all those amazing joints up there and i always end up going to grab some bottles and bring them home but it does it ruins you like because i'm still i'm even at a point where you know we're at a restaurant or something and somebody's like oh you want a bourbon and i'm like what do you have <laughs> Right. You're using the word bourbon. I don't think I'm going to trust that if you're talking that that's some sort of Seagram's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like if you, if you say what bourbon do you have and the first thing out of your mouth is Crown Royal, like we're going to another restaurant. <laughs> like, exactly. Because you don't Just because it came in a felt bag that I used for my teas at the golf course does not make it quality. Yeah, I didn't ask for whiskey. I asked for bourbon. And I don't think so anything's you, wrong with have Crown. You done the, have you done the bourbon tour? The, like, I've been the, to the every the one of them, dude. I haven't done that. I, I we're going to Nashville in two weeks uh, with my good friend uh, Chad, his wife Lorena, my wife Jane, and uh, we're driving down, and we got a week down there. And uh, I was thinking, oh, maybe we make a detour on the way down and take a couple distillery tours. Do it, man. Do it. Go to Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Um, that's in Frankfurt, so you can go to Lexington, Frankfurt. They're fifteen. Lexington is fifteen minutes from Frankfurt. Um. Frankfurt's the capital, but like the only thing there is state government and like, you know, it's, it's a fairly small town. Um, but, uh, Buffalo trace is amazing. And then if you can get over to four roses, um, Ooh. that's awesome. But Buffalo trace, you know, has like 15, Buffalo trace is Pappy. 
Blanton's, um, George T. Sag, uh, Buffalo Trace. Um, they, they make a ton of labels. So you can, um, what's cool about that is, and that's actually the oldest continually operating distillery in the United States because they actually had a permit to produce during uh, prohibition. Um, really? They did, like, because they were medicinal uses. So, um, so they were one of the only ones, and I think the only one that's still around that actually was allowed to continue making, um, making uh, whiskey during prohibition. And I will tell you this because you can find them online because you, you seem like the kind of guy that would love this because I have one. Um, there were government-issued prescription uh, papers um, that are about the size of like a three-by-five index card, um, some were a little bigger, that had a seal for the Treasury Department and a, a, a printed number, like serial number, and you had to have one of those in order to purchase if you had a medicinal reason and they sell them online. And so I got one and framed it and I have it at the bar downstairs, an original one. Like, and they're not, crazy, they're not crazy expensive. You know, you can go find an old one for 20, 25 bucks online. Um, on like, they're on eBay. They're all over the place, but, and memorabilia, like, like liquor memorabilia type places have them, but it's just such a cool piece of history. Like you think about, you know, at a time when they said you can't do this anymore, but they still had, you know, it was, it was basically a prescription. It was like a medical prescription only there. It came from the little card, the little sheets came from a special pad, I guess that the, the doctors could give. Was it as easy to get as medicinal marijuana uh, (laughs) scripts are? No, I think it was much more difficult. Although obviously medicine then was different, right? Because clearly they thinking that they're prescribing uh, whiskey as a, as a, as a, as a, as a drug. Um, But, uh, I get the opinion that they were because I think a lot of people just weren't going through the process because they were, you know, they would just get it illegally or like my cousins where they just had a shine still out back, which my cousins still have shit will run a lot more. But anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, it's just cool. And they, and they show you a lot of that old stuff and they tell the family stories about how the families came to get, you know, there were these, all these sort of whiskey producing families that merged over time and, like there's all crazy. Like at one point, like one of the guys killed one of the other guys at some point trying to take over the distillery. And I mean, this was, this was rural Kentucky, bro. Like we were talking about like Hatfield McCoy shit, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, but again, the tour is great. And that one's just, there's just so much history because, and the tour there is actually, you get to do the tasting and stuff, but it's really a lot about the history and less about the distillery. I think if you go to the newer ones, it's just sort of about, this is how we make it. And this is how we, it's like, no, this place was found in 18, whatever. And then we did this, and then we did this prohibition. And then this guy killed this guy. And then the wife took over and then this. And so it, it, that we just went on that one. I've been on it a couple of times, but my wife went for the first time, like six months ago, we went up for a wedding up there. Um, and uh, that one's fun. That one's That's a lot the stuff of I like the history stuff. I, you know, how you make bourbon, it's, virtually all the same right it's just the different ingredient that they're doing uh but yeah learning all that history stuff that's what i like to uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna throw that out tonight now we have a messenger group uh, between the four of us and i'm gonna whip that out there as a as an option and i'm, I'm sure my my buddy chad will uh say uh, hell yeah immediately and it'll just be uh, having to convince the wives but it's so There'll be plenty of time for them to shop. And, it's so and cool. Have fudge. And my wife loved it too. And she's not, you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting. Like, I don't think it even though the other thing too, man, is I'll go ahead and tell you if they could figure out. So another thing that's cool about Buffalo trace is, um, they have a natural, um, 
their aging house or whatever where they barrel the bourbon where they actually store it to age um no climate control it's half underground um it's a cave or something right it's not a cave it's actually a building but they've just figured out a way to do it and it's kentucky so it doesn't get stupid hot you know what i mean yeah. but um but the way they have it inside and it's all dirt and everything's low and it's all just jammed in there and it's it's so much cooler when you walk in there but dude if they could ever figure out how to get that smell in a bottle like uh, with all those barrels because it you know the barrels sweat you know what i mean and all that stuff so it's just this mix of like unbelievable whiskey and that oak you know that those oak barrels and the dirt and it's just like a man like it's just like it smells like you know like what man should smell like i mean it's just i think we should reach we should reach out to febreze and make that a man scent you can uh, spray in your man room right I walked in and my wife was like, are you going to be okay? <laughs> I was like, I just want to stand here and breathe for a couple of minutes. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> right. So, um, but it's super. And then they explain how they do all that and, you know, how they figure out what's what, you know. And the other thing that's crazy, and I don't know if you knew this, but so obviously everybody sort of says Pappy is kind of the, you know, the top of the bourbon food chain. I don't think so. Like I've had it and I think I like Stag better. Um, and stag's still $300 a bottle, but it ain't no two grand a bottle like Peppy is. Um, but, uh, what's crazy is, is they go through the process and they have the mash and they do their whole thing and they barrel it and they put in, but you know, all these things matter. Temperature variation over the years, you know, the, now theirs is also cool because I think their barrels actually all come from the same tree. Like they use this one place and they get their, they, uh, the wood all comes from the same place. Um, so, um, but, uh, you know that they don't know which label it is until it's done. Like, I think the idea is, is we're going to barrel this, and when it's done, it's going to be this. But it's not, because what makes a Pappy versus a a Blanton's versus a whatever is actually how the natural process may deviate in over the 12 years or, or, or 15 years or 18 years or however long it's aging. So their hmm. master people actually crack the barrels open when they're done, taste them, and go, oh, this is a pappy. Or this How do you get a... that job? I know, right? Um, but but that's what's cool because I always thought it's like, oh, these are barrels of pappy, but that's not how it works. Because that's interesting. Because the you know, the pappy ones obviously are special, right? In a sense that I mean, I think they have things that they know that not to say that they don't say, okay, this mix can yield us pappy, but it might not be pappy, right? Because of the quality, it might one, you know, the barrels might have gone a different direction, but it may be something else. Um, and so it's just, it's a cool, it's a cool place, man. And it's, it's in, it's, you know, it's, it's on a hill in Frankfort, Kentucky. And I mean, it's beautiful there. It's horse country all over the place. I mean, you can't, you can't beat it. Nice. You said something about, uh, when you, you walked in, your wife was, uh, uh you going to be okay. I have that. <laughs> I have that when we walk into a guitar store, store my wife's uh, like, you'll be all right. I'm like, I might start twitching because I'd like to have one of these and, She's like, well, you already have six guitars. How many more do you need? I'm like, there, there's a question of too many? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, there's no such thing as too many. How many pairs of shoes right. do you have? That's what I say to my wife. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but then then you get, well, shoes aren't don't cost as much as a guitar. I'm yeah, like, but the no, net of I all. I can resell the guitar. <laughs> but also the net of all your shoes costs as much as the damn guitar. Like, I'm only <laughs> right. talking about having seven guitars. You've got 400 pairs of shoes. So yep. I, I think if we did and, a, a real value, they would probably be close. Exactly. I'm the same way. I just went uh, 
I think you probably saw this on Facebook. So my main acoustic guitar is a Taylor 810 CE I got um, in 2010. Uh, 2010. 2000. Um, and uh, God, it's such a good guitar. Um, but I was in Guitar Center actually buying some podcast gear the other day, and I always walk back to the acoustic room um, whenever yep. I'm in a guitar shop. And, uh, you know... But that's the thing. It's kind of nice for me is I don't get too tempted because my guitar is so nice that I play other guitars and go, eh, I like, you know, electrics, forget it. That's why I stay away from electrics because I don't have like an electric that I love. So, you know, yeah. I can grab any thing, you know what I mean? It's like I've, so we went down to the Dominican Republic for vacation a few weeks ago and we stayed at the Hard Rock in Punta Cana and uh, they have a guitar menu. So if you're staying there at the hotel, it's all inclusive. They have a sheet of guitars and you can call down to the desk and they'll bring you uh, the guitar and amp and like some Beats headphones. And you get no to keep way. the guitar for two days. So nice. there was a 67 Tele Sunburst Ooh. that was on the menu. But they had a bunch of cool. They had, I mean, they had a bunch of Jaguars. Like they had all kinds of stuff. But um, You didn't try to smuggle that in your bag? No, yeah, I wanted to so bad. But um, but uh, I've got a '77 Thin Line that's top hollow, um, that's gold that I like a telly. But uh, yeah, but yeah, but they're uh, yeah, guitar shops are just the ba- and you know you're gonna be in you're gonna be in Nashville, so uh, I'm assuming you're gonna try to you're gonna try to work in some some guitar shop time. Oh, we'll we'll be hitting up Groon for sure. Got to. Uh, and there's a there's another uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, down off near the Gulch down there. Um, that we saw. It's kind of near Third Man Records uh, that has um, vintage stuff. I think one of the Zach Brown dudes gets his guitars from there as well, which is then how I found out. And which I was like, dude? All right, we got to hit that up. Uh, I think it was Clay. You want me, you want me to ask him? <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Yeah, because you're all hooked in. See, you've got this sweet music scene. I, I, I've, uh, other than, and I, I'll get booed out of, uh, out of half your friends, I'm sure, but REM, I'm not a big, uh, they can go away. Uh, but everything else out of Atlanta, I love. I, you guys have a killer music scene, and uh, it just—they just keep coming out of there. It's fantastic. It's um, it, yeah, it, and it and it's actually a little down. Um, I think, um, from prior years. I mean, there's still, um, we've been. I, I definitely think I was in it when it was. I feel like it was the land of milk and honey. Like, live music was everywhere. Everyone wanted to go. Wanted to go see it. You would go see bands you didn't know just because why not, you know? You gotta, yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a lot less of that, you know? Um, so, I, but there's still great. I mean, we're fortunate in that we have, um, there's a lot of venues, um, which is nice. Um, there's a lot of places that I think have some history that cater to the up and coming artist. Um, like we have a place called Eddie's attic, which are, which are ever down here. Um, it's an acoustic room primarily. And, um, you know, it's really singer songwriter oriented. So even you'll get guys that won't do it with their band, you know, they'll just come and do that. And then you get anybody from, you know, people that are huge to people that are just getting started and, you know, that will come and play and, there's just festivals and all that kind of stuff, but we've also got, you know, there's great studios here. There's great producers here. Um, 
you know, it's a, it's a, it is a good music city. And I think too, that it, this is like the center of the hip hop universe. And everybody always sort of thinks that that's, I mean, I think a lot of people associate that with Atlanta because there's the songs and you see like, welcome to Atlanta and like all that sort of stuff. But, um, a lot like the way I think country, you know, Nashville is obviously still the center of the country universe, but now Nashville is just as big a rock city as, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a music city. And, and I think that country was so established there that other people were like, well, you know, there's great writers, there's great players, there's all that. And Atlanta, I mean, again, even with the hip hop and the R and B and all that stuff, I think it's the same thing. Like I think those communities have now started to sort of intermingle a little more and you just have talented people. You know what I mean? If there's a bass player that's disgusting, like it, doesn't really matter that <laughs> you know i mean if he's, yeah. if he's a blues guy or he can play r&b or he can play rock or he can play you know whatever so it's a fun place and we have had i mean i think i so i guess i probably take it for granted but I, we've had and and i think we get the we almost get the benefit of acts that aren't from here but this becomes the hub because this is the only big city like that's the difference right. with the north right like where you guys are is like there's a fucking huge city like 20 feet in every direction you know what i mean yeah. like you know, you know it, like down here it's like there's atlanta and then if you want another big city i guess like really big city it's like miami which is 18 hours away or whatever that is yeah. or nashville which is four <laughs> and nashville's not a huge city it's just a huge music city but that's four and a half hours away dc is 10 hours you know nine hours away or whatever i mean there's just it's not like okay new york boston chicago indianapolis you know it's like every there's big cities everywhere. So, you know, that's how, you know, like the sister Hazel guys, which I know we sort of have that in common, um, you know, Gainesville. Right. But Atlanta was like the hub. I mean, I know they lived in Florida. I'm not saying, but everything comes through here. Everybody's going to come here. Um, everybody's going to play in Athens where the university of Georgia is. Um, you know, it's, and all the matchbox 20, like, you know, Hootie and the blowfish were in South Carolina. So who are the guys, <clears throat> who, who, what was it, the land of milk and honey for you? Who was all there that uh, you say that, that's that's why you think of that as that being that time for you? Um, well, and it's not even people that necessarily got famous, but like I just there were so many just bands. You're just like, holy shit, man! Like these guys are, you know what I mean? Like you get on a bill with somebody and you're just like, damn, man, these guys are just really good at their you know at their craft. And I think right. there were lots of touring acts, right? Because we would always bounce off each other. So we did a million shows with Hazel. Right. And like, mm-hmm. those guys are awesome. Similar to the way that our band started, you know, the duo, you know, Ken and Andrew was just like Jay and Bubba, our guys started in the acoustic thing and it sort of grew into something much bigger. Um, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish from over there, Edwin McCain, um, you know, uh, John Mayer was here before he, you know, cause he actually came with clay. I don't know if you know that story. Yep. So, you know, clay and John. No. So clay cook from Zach Brown met John at Berkeley. Um, when they were in music school and when clay was getting ready to come back to Atlanta, he's like, why don't you come to Atlanta? So John came here before John Mayer was John Mayer and was just playing around here because he came with clay. They had a band actually. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, clay co-wrote like half of that first record because that was, a really? John, yeah, John's record. That was all stuff that they did together. Well, I'm going to have to go get the disc out and look at the liner notes. Yeah. And, um, and then, um, uh, so um, and then Clay was doing the solo thing, and then Clay was actually producing a bunch of people. So I don't know if you know Clay's background, but you know Clay's uncle's the lead singer of Marshall Tucker. Ah, 
so Marshall Tucker's from Macon, okay. from Macon, right? Which is, yep. and that's the other thing too, is we kind of have that influence. I mean, Almond Brothers, you know, um, all the great Southern rock was kind of in the middle of the state, but yeah. So Clay's uncle was the lead sing- original lead singer from Marshall Tucker and Clay actually played with Marshall Tucker, um, when they would tour, uh, and then Zach was just sort of doing the Zach thing, you know? So John, yep. so hot John Hopkins, who's his bass player, um, yep. was in this band called Brighter Shade and played around like all around town, all over the place. Um, so there was just a lot of that, you know, and then Zach blows up and he, you know, those guys that started playing with him. And so they went with him, you know, I mean, sort of as, as that deal, but, um, there were just so, I mean, you know, there were just so many, and then you had other big acts that were, I mean, collective souls from here, you know, I know those goes mm-hmm. guys pretty well. Um, and they're, you know, that, and they got huge, huge, right? Like they have a bunch of number one hits. Um, and you know, you'd have people coming in town cause you know, Brendan O'Brien's here and, um, you know, so he did, you know, um, Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, he was the guy that was doing all that stuff, um, right. at Southern tracks. Um, so, uh, it just was a fun, and, and you know what I think it honestly was, and you guys probably had a similar fact, you know, thing up there is the college scene was where it was at back then. You know, like college kids were really into live rock and roll. And so, you know, University of Alabama, University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, University of Florida, Florida State, University of South Carolina, University of Tennessee, um, Vanderbilt. Every We played all those cities that those colleges were in because college kids just ate it up, you know. And again, I I mean, are college kids going out to listen to, you know, two guitars, a bass and drums anymore? I don't know. Not as much as I would think. Uh, That's one of the things that uh, concerns me with today's music is the auto tune, you know, those things, but it's just, it's not authentic. It's not, uh, you know, I, not, I don't want to sound like a music snob, but I like to hear mistakes. You know, I like to hear perfection. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you, when you go and see a musician and they just blow your socks off, you're like, wow. Um, but at the same time, they make mistakes. They're human. They're going to, they're going to do it. And most times you're not going to know, right? Most people don't know, but, um, that's just what I don't, I'm, I worry sometimes that we're, uh, we're losing our touch with that. Cause you know, Madison university, of Wisconsin, Madison's here. And like you said, so there's big cities, right? Minneapolis and Chicago and Milwaukee. So those artists all roll through here. So we usually get them on an off night, you know, a Thursday or a Sunday. Um, and they're filling their bill, you know, they're, they're, they're putting gas in the bus and whatever, uh, so we get to see those guys and, um, you know, I'll go and, you know, so I'm 46. Uh, there's been shows I've walked into though. And I'm like, I'm the, I'm the grandpa in the room. I'm like seriously <laughs> holding the age up. And then there are other times where I walk in though, and I'm the youngie or I'm a young kid. And I'm like, this isn't right. I don't know how there isn't more people here to see these guys. Yeah. I've, I've gotten over the whole arena rock show. Like that's not my idea of a good time to go to a, 18,000 or Kenny Chesney comes up and plays at Lambeau field. And it's, you know, you know, it's 80,000, hundred thousand people in there. What am I seeing? I'm paying you $200 to sit, you know, a football field away. No, I'd rather pay $200 and sit in a nice little intimate theater and be able to hear everything. Yeah. I'm generally that same way. Although I did um, spend a fairly decent chunk of change this summer to go see um, tears for fears and hollow notes. Right. So, cause I'm a huge tears for fears fan. And that's just one of those things where like those guys don't tour much and 
when will I get to do? They're playing in like a, a ten or eleven thousand seater. Um, but uh, I went out and ju- I'm in like the eighth row. So like, I mean, I just went you know all out and said I'm gonna go just spend the money and sit up front, you know, or as close as I can. But that's when I'll do it, right? Like because I'm just like may not ever get a chance to see those guys again. I saw them live here like three years ago, four years ago. They toured. And that was the first time they've been to Atlanta in like twenty years. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like, you know what, I'll do that. But I'm the same way. Like I like to go and, you know, hear people in, in environments where I also like to be able to, and you're probably the same way. I like to be able to watch people play. I know yes. that's not, you know, most people probably don't, but you know, I play the guitar, right? So, I mean, I like to see what guys are doing. I like to see what kind of gear they have. I like to see how they're getting sounds. I like to, you know, I like to exactly. watch them do their thing. Right. So, um, so that's harder. Could, it could be a product of the artists I go see too sometimes. So, like I've really got uh, sucked back into Marty Stewart lately. You oh know? yeah, uh, and uh, so he played uh, down here in Stoughton's, another little burb uh, just south of Madison. They have this great opera house. Uh, it seats maybe 400, 500 people. Uh, old wood chairs. Like you need to bring a cushion because your ass is going to be sore <laughs> if you don't bring something soft to sit on. I don't know how people did it back in the early days before cushion, but. Uh, they probably weren't as, as big as, uh, we are today either, but, uh, anyways, that, I digress there. Uh, you know, so he had two shows, three o'clock and seven o'clock and sold them both out. Uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, so then my buddy says, Hey, let's go see Marty Stewart. He's playing in Milwaukee. And I bet he'll have the full band because in his opera house, it's just him. It was him and the four guys from his show, right? Uh, uh Kenny Vaughn, uh, Harry Stinson. And then he had Chris Scruggs playing uh, the bass, um, and uh, the drummer just had a snare and it just slung over his shoulder, right? And it was basically all acoustic. And everybody who performs there walks to the edge of the stage and just sings without mics. And you can hear everything. It's, oh, wow. It's, it's one of those perfect rooms that was built 100 years ago. Um, so we go over to see him in Milwaukee. And all right, we're going to Milwaukee. Million plus market. Uh, we're seeing him at the rave uh, in the sidebar. And there's maybe... 150 people there and it's now it's full band all electric and they are just killing it i mean just it's straight up and his new album way out west is really cool i think uh and i'm just like how is there only nobody here for this right I, and it wasn't an expensive ticket either it was uh 15 20 bucks or whatever and holy I'm just, cow i just don't know how you, i just don't know how that happens how does how do people not go see them uh, to take a chance on an artist. How, how do you know? Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, and again, I, it's, and I think part of it is, is again, it's age and sort of station, you know, because some of it, like, I, and I'm not going to lie, like there are times when I'm, I think to myself, there might be a show I'll see or something. I'm like, you know what though? They're going to start at 1045. <laughs> um, it's going to be over at 1230. I'm going to get home at 1:30. Do I really want to do that? You know, and, and I know that's, but I'm old, I'm getting old. Um, you know, so, so that's probably part of the challenge, right. Is just whether or not people will go, but it's, that's been going on too. Like I, you know, I, I told this story before, but, um, there was a place here called the masquerade for a long time, which was kind of one of these alt joints, you know, it's like a place where like Slipknot would go play, you know, like when they first got started or one of those kind of bands, it was very, you know, it, it was, it was either punk or something that was just way outside the sort of, it wasn't pop, you know, or pop right. rock type stuff. Um, I saw Radiohead there with 120 people. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, before Radiohead was Radiohead. Was yeah. Um, but everybody had heard about you know it's like and you know what everybody in the room was a musician right because we all sort of knew who they were like they're one of those musicians bands you know what I mean because <laughs> even if you don't because there's songs of theirs I don't like but they're just masters at their craft you know like watching Johnny Greenwood play the guitar is like a fucking religious experience I mean he's just a he's just a monster you know and he gets all these crazy sounds you know like and it's just got his orange stacks and you know I'm like he's just up there doing his thing so um but I, but you know I mean I don't know that that was unusual and I think for me too like I still know a lot of people that are not famous but are playing for a living and so I invariably end up going to see those guys like like my wife's actually going to Kentucky Derby this weekend um <clears throat> so I'm staying here and uh, one of my buddies is playing like an upstairs at a, you know, a, you know, a bar with an upstairs like music room thing, you know, kind of tomorrow. And, I, you know, I'll probably wander out, <laughs> you know, and right. get a drink and listen to him and invariably get called up on stage to do some songs. You know, it's one of those kind of things. I mean, that's going to happen. <clears throat> but um, but I probably do more of that, you know, than I do just going out and seeing, you know, like who's going to be in town. Holly and I have tried to be better about paying attention to who's here or who's coming through you know to go right. and, to go and do it i just think it comes in it comes in ways so how do you so since Alvar, i i still don't know like what the, what's the hazel connection I, I just just uh like the band we uh so my days in radio we uh when you're in radio you get a little perk you get some perks um and so we got uh, summer fest is a huge festival in milwaukee right it's uh 10 days it's on the lake and oh yeah uh, they have, uh, i don't know nine ten stages of live music and then they've got the big amphitheater where they the big headliner guys come in um it's like this year one of the big headliners is willie nelson oh. uh, and have you ever Chris seen stapleton's him? playing with them have you ever seen willie uh i've not seen like just willie as a show he i went down to the southern ground music and food festival and willie played there uh and so we were jacked. Willie was supposed to come play in Madison. Uh, and like, even my mother-in-law's like, get me tickets. I'm oh. coming down to watch a show with you. And he's going to play it outside at this big, uh, uh, high school football field stadium thing. Right. Not in, but it's not like Texas football field stadium. Like it's, <laughs> right. you know, maybe there's 12 rows of bleachers up the side. Um, but it's just a big open field and it's got a brick wall around it. You know, it's been there for a hundred years. But he ended up canceling, and because of conflict of interest, well, then come to find out he's playing Summerfest. So I was bummed. I was like, I was like, sweet, he's going to be right here. This is going to be awesome. And Margot Price was going to open for him, and I was oh, like, yeah, killer. This is two people I want to see. Yeah, no, didn't come true. Well, so. if you get a chance to go, it's amazing. And what stinks is, is I had tickets to see him and Merle, and then Merle passed away. They were uh, they were coming to Atlanta, and I've seen him before. I'd never seen Merle though. So I was. Yeah, they would have been doing their Django and uh, Jimmy. That album is fantastic. I bet they would have been doing that that uh, for that concert, huh? Yeah, I think the show was literally like in March, and Merle died what, like in November, December. Yeah. Um. So that stinks, but that's good. Yeah, you know, one of the this is one of my favorite music experience of all time was in Madison, Wisconsin, because we played really? we played Taste of Madison. Yeah. You played Taste of Madison? Oh, what yeah. year is that? 97. No kidding. So uh we uh and it's funny, the reason why it was awesome is because it was our first fly out one off. So we totally felt like rock stars. So we were in Texas and Oklahoma and we've been playing like a swing where we started in Atlanta and we were going like out to 
um, out to Colorado and back. And yep. uh, we played like, you know, we played in Dallas. We were out on tour with a band called Cowboy Mouth. I don't know if you know those guys. Yep. Um, yep. So we were on a bill with the, with them. So we like played a bunch of shows. They getting out of New Orleans, which is where we jumped on their tour. We kind of went all through Dallas and Texas. Jumped off, went up and played in Oklahoma. So we played in Stillwater, Oklahoma, at this place called Eskimo Joe's one night. And then we literally like went to drove to Tulsa and uh, jumped on a plane and flew to Wisconsin. So I mean, it was just like it was the whole crazy like you know. We brought our guitars, but they had backline, and we'd set it all up, you know, so they'd have gear for us, you know, set up, and, um, yeah. you know, so we just totally, like, rolled in, had a car pick us up, took us to a hotel, you know, like, whatever. Then we got to go, went down and wander around the thing, and the Capitol building is beautiful, you know, it's just it a is. huge yeah. dome, you know, it's gorgeous. I've got a bunch of pictures of me in front of that. Um, and we played, and it's like, how many six-foot-tall, beautiful blonde women can you get in one place? Like, they were all <laughs> over the place. It was like the Scandinavian influence here is evident because every yes. girl here is six feet tall. They all got blonde hair and they're all beautiful. Um, so, we, you know, and then uh, and then we played the gig and it was something stupid. Like, I don't know, it had to have been 15,000 people. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was monster. And our song, yeah. actually, <laughs> they were actually playing our song on the radio up there. So that's the reason why we got on the festival, because our song was they were spinning our tune at the time. So, um uh, and the craziest thing about all that, after we got done, we were just out walking around and like, we used to love to just go find local bars and stuff. Like when we weren't gigging, just find a, like a local watering hole and just bounce in and like, you know, talk to people, whatever. Yep. <clears throat> we got done. And actually a friend of mine from this band from Athens called Vigilantes of Love was also playing up there and he was doing like a coffee house show. We went to see him at this coffee house in Madison, just totally random that he was there. And um, we were walking back, and that's the day that Princess Diana died. I found out that Princess Diana died in downtown wow. Madison, Wisconsin, walking by a store, like in the movies, you know, where it has the display window where the TV's inside that were playing. Yeah. And all the things had cut to the news, and it was pictures of the accident or whatever, and it's like Princess Diana dead it, whatever. And we stood there for like 30 minutes looking through the glass of a storefront in Madison, Wisconsin, fig fi figuring out that Princess Diana had died. Um, huh. <clears throat> but that was a, that I might have seen a, you play then. Who knows? I, I might've, uh, when you said Princess Diana, that, that, that I flashed back to where I was in, in, in life at that point in time. And I was, I can remember that. And I would have probably been down to taste of Madison. So I might even seen you play. Yeah. So I was 20, and we didn't know it. I was 22. So you were probably what? 26, 25, something like that. I'm 42. Yep. yep so, 26, um, I been. But, you know, it just was a great place. The food was amazing. Like, everybody was super nice. You know, the weather was gorgeous. I mean, it was, you know, it just was, that trip was, that was a really, that was one of the more fun, fun trips. It was a good time. So are you still, and it's funny, like, I was going to tie back the whiskey bit because you, your band, your, your band back in the day was the, was it the Whiskey River Band? Right. Yeah, Wisconsin's original Whiskey River Band because there's a, uh, uh, there were several. So uh, I only started, I only taught myself to play guitar about uh, my daughter's 12. So 12, 12 and a half years ago, uh, almost 13 now. Uh, my dad taught himself when he was like five or six. And he played in uh, the Blau Family Hour, right? So they did a radio show uh, and then they did a, a TV hour here locally back in the 50s. And um, so my dad's always played in bands, right? 
and so I was the roadie. I was, uh, my dad tried to teach me when I was seven and I learned a little bit of it, but I, you know, I didn't have any interest. Uh, if I could go back and talk to seven year old self, I'd say, Hey, pay attention. This will <laughs> help you out later in life, you know, but, uh, uh, so I, I grew up around bands and, and, um, you know, my dad, they opened for, you know, all kinds of country artists and whatnot. And, uh, for a while he was full time at it. Um, you know, so my mom would stay home, uh, raise us. I'm the oldest of three boys. Uh, my dad would be off doing the circuit, you know, he'd play, uh, all Wisconsin up in Michigan, like K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base up by, uh, I think it's in Marquette, Michigan. He would play there for a week and then over into Minnesota, down to Iowa. They won a Battle of the Bands, Seagram's Battle of the Band, back to Seagram's uh, Battle of the Band contest. Uh, and they uh, won the, I don't know, whatever, the Midwest region. So they got to go to Nashville and cut a record. Um, and uh, they didn't win um, ultimately. But uh, so, you know, I, I've been, I've seen opening acts. I've been around music. Um, it's just always, there's always a song in my head. Right. So, uh, when I realized I was probably subconsciously, I guess, realizing that my uh, tenure in radio was going to be ending, uh, uh, I said, I need a creative outlet. And, uh, I just got addicted to playing guitar and, and I, it was, I learned it pretty quick. I, about three months, I surprised my dad at Christmas. So I picked it up in October and by Christmas, uh, I could wheel around on, um, uh, you know, most of the open chords, uh, barring, uh, ha eluded me. Uh, it's still some bars still elude me, but, uh, me too. Uh, you know, I, it was, uh, so after about, uh, uh two years, my dad's like, Hey, why don't you come up and play with us? And then it just kind of morphed into, um, I just showed up at every gig and played with them. Um, never was really an official member of the band, uh, that I was aware of. Right. Uh, and then I see a newspaper clip saying, hey, Wisconsin's original West River Band's playing and it's featuring these people. And here's the band names. And I was like, sweet, I'm in the band. I didn't <laughs> even know I'm in the band. <laughs> and uh, we did a lot of covers, uh, well, almost all covers uh, of classic country music down the stretch. They used to play current country, um, but they just eventually got to the point where like, this isn't country. Um, and uh, they just went to do what they do. Johnny Cash. My dad's a huge Farron Young fan and Gene Watson fan. So a lot of that stuff. Ooh, my uh, mama loves Gal some Gene Singer. Watson. My mama oh. is all about some Gene Watson. He's got a golden voice. He still does too. And uh, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, then, yeah, we had Gal Singer, uh, Bonnie and she sang, uh, you know, Patsy Cline and, uh, but she did, uh, she did a, uh, Waylon song. Um, we there was, a, it was a good talent. We had a steel guitar player. Um, so it was fun. We ended it, uh, three years ago. So my dad's, uh, uh, 67. Uh, and so he was just, uh, he was done. He'd, he'd had enough. Um, uh, it just burned him out the dealing with bar owners and all the setup and tear down. Um, I think if he could probably just show up, plug in and play and sing and walk off, that'd be fine. But, uh, he might still do it, but he just took too much pride in it and didn't uh, want to do it. So uh, I had an excuse that that gave me an excuse to play live music with because I was playing with my dad, uh, which was the coolest experience of my life. Sure, uh, just to get awesome. to hang out with him for four hours. And, uh, you know, early on, he'd be like, uh, all right, they'd give me a set list. Right. And every time, like the first 
six songs off the set list and then it would just deviate from there and it would never follow the set list. And so he'd have to tell me the chords. Um, and then invariably they, so I, distinctly the first time I remember it was, uh, they said, Hey, uh, remember that old Mel Tilla song, Coca-Cola cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. They start playing it. And I'm like, well, what key is it in? You know, and that's, then my dad taught me the Nashville, uh, one, four, one, you know, one, four, five stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So that's helped me out tremendously. So, I think I'm an above average guitar player now, but gosh, I, if I go back, like you said, to my seven year old self, I'd probably be living in Nashville playing guitar all the time. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I'm not, I'm an average guitar player, but I, I started, or I started when I was 19, but same thing, self taught. And, uh, yeah, you know, had a buddy that played baseball with us that we took our, I bought a guitar and we took it with us, you know, on trips. And, uh, I just picked his brain for everything that it was worth. And um, after we were done with all that stuff, I mean, I played covers around town for like 10 years. I did a lot of solo and duo acoustic stuff. And I actually enjoy, co- I mean, it's funny, like it's sort of a thing with, um, and maybe it's because when I was working with Memory Dean, like we toured all over the place and, you know, I, we got to do it. And I guess I don't need to scratch that itch or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I like covers. I mean, I, again, like I like playing covers. I mean, I, I think I'm a music fan, right? So you know, I like playing songs that I like. Um, I like taking songs that I like and reimagining them, you know, and doing them a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, all these people that just like, and I get it, they're trying to do the original thing and trying to make it. And it's almost like they, with disdain and a spitting on the ground, like I'm going to go play a cover gig because I can make some money. Um, yeah. But I always am like, you know, I I still I, I I really enjoyed playing cover gigs. It was tons of fun. I mean, the crowds with you, you're there to just it's just a party. You're just there to provide yep. provide a party. That's the deal. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, a good friend of mine. My buddy Chad. He's a, he started a band uh, called Crosstown Drive. Um, gosh, uh, three years ago or whatever. Their new incarnation. Their uh, uh, their lead guitar player left. So they got a new lead guitar player. Now they added a fiddle player. So their first gig is a Saturday and they, they write a lot of their own stuff. Um, and it's cool. And then, and you know, they have, you know, 15 songs they wrote of themselves. Well, that'll only get you so far on a three hour show. Uh, so they do covers and stuff and I'm always shooting them covers. And, and, uh, we, we got in this discussion and I said, well, you should play this song. He's like, ah, nobody really knows that. I'm like, yeah, well, nobody know, really knows Girl Fit for Broadway, the song you wrote either. But if you, you make it yours, nobody's going to care, right? I, I, and he just doesn't agree with that. And, it, you know, that's cool. It's his band. Uh, but I, I just am like, it's your band. Do what you enjoy. And if you if you take a song that's obscure, uh, that wasn't a hit, and just start playing it, maybe if people catch on and it'll be your song. And, you know, half the songs that you hear in the world, the artist didn't actually write. Yeah, you know, or, most of them they're they're somebody else wrote it for them, but they something about the song moved them or it hooked them or whatever, and they made it their own. Yeah, and I think it's also too just finding songs that are dynamic, right? Like that's the other yes. trick is like if it, if they don't know what it is and it's fairly dynamic and you can do something with it, then that's okay as well. And also, I think it's totally good to just do things completely unexpected, right? And that's what I tell cover guys all the time. I used to do a cover of "Genie in a Bottle." by Christina Aguilera on acoustic guitar guaranteed. First of all, guaranteed tips, guaranteed, bring the house down every right. time, every time. Cause people are just like, what is happening right now? 
right? Yep. Like, and 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 I didn't do it as a goof. Like all of us have p- been playing a cover gig and like done something as a goof. You know what I mean? Like a Wayne Newton song or like a loungy something, and you play like thirty seconds of it and then you laugh. But right. I mean, I rearranged that song into like a pretty decent little acoustic ballad, and you know, it people love it. People just loved it, and it's like it doesn't like and that and that. And that's not a bad song. Like it's an overproduced pop song, but if you just break it down to its bare elements, it's actually a pretty damn good song. It's just right. I'm not a fan of the style it was made in, but the roots of the song are there, right? Like the 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 meat is there. I just don't particularly like the way they cooked it, <laughs> you know? Right? Um, yeah. So you posted. I, I sent you that that link about uh, Brad uh, Butch Walker and uh, oh yeah Dave Cobb. You mean that Grammy thing? You mean Brad? Brad Walker. Yeah, you're 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 a high school classmate, right? His dad you're is probably... Butch. That's the hardest thing for me to get because back home, like, but he was just Brad, and his dad's Butch. Yeah. Or his dad. His dad passed away, but his dad <laughs> his dad was Butch. And I'm like, Butch, what's Butch doing? They're like, no, Brad. I'm like, oh, Brad's <laughs> Brad's Butch now. So anyway, um, yeah. Well, oh, and that's uh, but the they thing too. about that stripping it back and doing it, um, making it your own, right? And and not overproducing it. And that's the stuff that I like. That's that's what gets me. Is it, if it's got a good hook, it's got a good sound to it. And you know, uh, you know, sometimes the lyrics matter, but more times than not, that's not what people are melody are, uh, paying attention. Melody, it's, it's the melody, absolutely. Harmonies, melody, any of that stuff that's good. They'll get you for that. that you'll get me for that every time. Uh, yeah, and that's actually another. It's funny you mentioned Dave Dave Cobb because um, same thing like Tender Idols. That was the exact same time. Like that when Tender Idols were here. That's when really? we, that's when we were exact same time. Yeah, so playing the same gigs all the time, running them all over the place. Um, so I guess Atlanta was pretty pretty banging back then. Now that, <laughs> there are a lot of people down here, but. Right? Uh, not not from Cartersville High School. That's weird. I've actually joked with Butch about that before. It's like, what are the odds that both of us somehow make it out of that place alive? You know, like make it out of Cartersville, Georgia, of all places. Like Cartersville is just up in the, you know, it's just up in the 45 miles north of Atlanta and North Georgia. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's more now because the city's expanded, like considered close by, but it was just the woods when we were kids. <laughs> Isn't Newman from Seinfeld from there too? He is. I thought Butch you know, referenced that in his, one of his uh, albums. He talks about uh, his boys and just. Uh, and, and then there's some girl that was in uh, videos. Videos, as he says. Did you know who that girl was? Girl in videos. From Carter's? You know, uh, adult video, pornography. Oh, he I. His sh- buddies, he and uh, uh, South Gang. Yeah, uh, we're watching videos and they're out in LA, and all of a sudden there's like, oh my god, she's from our hometown. No, that, and that like would, that'd be weird. One me. would think though that like if it was porn, I would know this, but um, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to be all holier in that. One. I, like I'd be like, no, I never watched porn. I've never seen porn. Um, so a buddy of mine was in a uh, was in a uh, a boy band uh, back in the day. They didn't, you know, not 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 they didn't get boys to men big, but they they did all right. Uh, but he still produces music in his basement. You know, he samples stuff and does whatever and, and writes his own stuff. And uh, he told me he just sold his uh, book, his catalog of music for $50,000. And he got to keep, he, so if, if it was, if it was titled, his name's Mike Barron. So if, he, if it was titled Mike Barron's 
he could retitle it Mike Barron's One and sell it again if he wanted. Uh, but they would just use these clips in movies, TV shows, whatever, right? People just need this stuff. Yeah. So then he is, he's, he's telling me, he's like, yeah, so my wife and I got the Playboy channel to spice things up for a day, uh, for a week and whatever. And all of a sudden, there in the background of the Playboy channel is one of his songs that he sold. That's so and it great. just freaked him out. Yeah, there's all kinds like, of weird. Like, first of all, that's what I tell you all the time. That's how you make money. It's hard to make money in music, whatever. But if you can find people to license your for TV shows and stuff like that, like it, you know, that's for sure a way to make money. Um, yeah. The so good on him because that's a great. Another thing that I had a buddy that did this, and and a couple few buddies that did this is writing jingles. Like, there's so many people that I'm friends with that are. Um, really really talented musicians and i was like you don't even have to do it as yourself but like you know you've got all the gear you've got whatever talk to we have tv networks all over the place here it's like write theme songs right write jingles do commercials you get paid a fortune for doing those things i used to i used to you know so in my radio days i sold radio advertising i hooked a lot of folks up with jingle writers and uh there's there's a, a pool and spa place here and they wrote a jingle for him he's like i just don't like this word and i said well, well change it to this word and he's like that works perfectly i'm like sweet i get writing credit how much do i get paid for this <laughs> yeah, exactly. but it, and it was several thousand dollars just to buy that jingle right and i was like man you knocked that you know two of those a month and you're living high right yeah and that's just side money and that didn't take you but you know two hours of sitting in a studio being trying to be creative and then then you can just turn around and wheel that off to somebody else and Iowa, who's got a pool and spa place and change the name and you're good to go. Absolutely. But I was reminded though, similar to the Playboy channel story, your buddy, this <laughs> another crystallized in my mind, sort of rock, rock and roll moment when we were out touring then the memory Dean days is I'm trying to remember where we were. Um, I think we're in Texas somewhere. But anyway, it wasn't the whole band. It was just a couple of us, and and because there were there were some married guys in the band, and then there was us degenerate single guys. So we were, you know, the ones that were always out like crazy, and we had wandered off to a strip club one night, and we hadn't been in the strip club for more than ten minutes, and the girl comes out to the main stage, and a Memory Dean song comes on <laughs> for the strip. I, again, I think this song was on the radio in the town at the time, or whatever, and I guess the DJ had liked it or whatever and grabbed it. And I was like, we are sitting in a strip club in Texas and some chick is taking her clothes off. And this song is playing. Like, it doesn't get a whole lot more rock and roll than this right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm you almost start coughing like, here. we may almost just need to just give up. Like, I don't know if it'll ever get any better than this. <laughs> you've top. You've, you've, you've reached the peak. Um, all right. So, um, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about <clears throat> before I let you get out of here. Um, because I've followed, sort of followed this with you, and uh, you can absolutely swear this off, and I'll cut it out after the fact if you don't, if you don't want to get into it. But I want to talk about your son. Um, yep. You know, I obviously don't know all the details because I haven't pressed. I've just tried to keep up with what's going on. But, you know, I know that he, he's been fighting cancer. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, a, and just, I mean, 
I give you a lot of credit. I mean, again, like we've never really hung out or whatever, but because of our relationship online, I mean, when you started to post this stuff, I got sort of vested in it. I mean, you know, because I, I, I just am a care about people guy, but, um, yeah. that's obviously a terrible thing to have to deal with. And then, you know, I don't have children, so it's hard for me to realize as a pan- as a parent, but, um, it seems like he's just been such a hero through the whole, like every time, I mean, I know it hasn't been easy and it's just like, you know, I see pictures and you give updates about he's fighting and he's doing this. And every picture I see, it seems like he's got a smile, you know, he's trying to make the best of it. And it's just, that just seems like such a terrible situation um, to have to deal with all around. And I sort of commend his, his spirit. And I'm sure there have been downtimes that everyone's not privy to, but you know, this is such a turn from what we've been talking about. But what I really want to talk about is, you know, as a parent, that's got to just be like the worst thing in the world. But on the other hand, you have to be proud and, you know, and just to just watch him fight. It, it, it It's, uh, yeah. So um, it was May 1st last year, phone rings at midnight. And my wife and I were night owls, right? The sun goes down and I, I, I'm wide awake. I can take a nap anytime when the sun's up. Me too. Uh, but the sun goes down and I'm open. I'm, I'm wide open and ready to go. Uh, so the phone rings at midnight and I'm like, oh crap. You know, is it your parents or my parents? Like nothing. There's no good phone call at midnight. Correct. Um, and I look at the caller ID and I'm like, oh, it's Justin. All right. You got busted at a house party, right? He's 19 years old at the time. Uh, he's in, for a freshman year at college and uh all right he's, he got busted drinking and he's calling for help uh, and and he says hey uh i'm in the hospital they found a mass in my chest and i was like uh you know you you, you, you everything sinks out of you um so i fly down there and he comes back uh they by the time i get there and we we're just going to school it's about an hour and a half drive uh i think i made it in an hour I, so if there's law enforcement listening, I appreciate you uh, turning the blind eye as I flew down uh, Highway 151. But um, uh, I get there, they're loading the ambulance to bring them back. Um, and so that's the, the cool thing with social media, uh, at least on Facebook, they have this, you know, uh, last year or on this date type thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm reliving all these things. So today's May 4th. Um, may the 4th be with you. Uh, but I may... <laughs> Third, uh, so this is two days later, a year ago. Um, that was when he, uh, they had to put him on oxygen because his breathing was compromised. They had it. Um, they gave him the bone marrow uh, test. They stuck the needle in, um, and he bent the needle. The, the doctor's like, "I've never seen this. Your kid's got great bones." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> good. That, you know, he's crying right now because that hurts like a mother." Um, but um, and so all this stuff, and it's just, it's weird just the 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 time because that to me I would have swore was two weeks. Yeah, uh, I, you know you'd forgotten that it was two days. Um, and you know so it uh, you know it sucked. It, you know uh, it, it, it people always say it's, it's probably worse for those not going through it, right? And it's my kids, so I, um, I you know, and, and he's just what you know. I guess you got two choices, right? You can curl up and die or you can fight. Um, and he's a, it's a cliche to say, you know, 
you can't tell him no, right? But that's literally my kid. You tell him no, he's going to find a way to prove you're wrong, that he can uh, succeed at whatever. Um, and uh, so that he just took that on. You know, he certainly had, you know, he's had his, his weak moments and, and bad moments, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, how, how would you not um, to go through that? But, um, you know, the cool thing, I, I just messaged him the other day and I said, uh, so he, he uh, got a stem cell transplant and he finally uh, walked out of the hospital, hopefully for the last time. And he posted that and said, you know, after 365 days, it was exactly uh, April 30th. So it was exactly one year uh, that he walked out and uh, hopefully he's cancer free. And uh, he uh, like he's gotten over a thousand likes. So he tagged his mother and me and then. Uh, my wife, his stepmom in, and, you know, so there's a, a broader network of people, but there's, he's got like over 1200 likes and I, I don't even know how many comments. Um, and I said to him, I'm like, dude, that's how many lives you've touched. That's yep. pretty cool. Absolutely. You know, um, and that, you know, that's some of the advantages of living in a small town, which is why we moved to the forest 15 years ago is because we wanted that small town feel and you know, your neighbors and you, you know, you're not just, uh, uh, living in a you know high rise, um, but uh, you know the the community rallied around. Um, you know I, I said um, it's the old you know footprints in the sand to get religious on you know. I look back and there's only one set of footprints, and Jesus says that's because I was carrying you. Um, the community was carrying us and carrying him in those down parts, um, and and uh, you know when things were good and you go through highs and lows, you know we. Uh, he was, so ultimately he was diagnosed with gray zone lymphoma, which is Hodgkin's. And then there's non Hodgkin's, mm-hmm. um, basically he has both. Uh, and maybe there's 300 people in the world at any given time that have it. It's only been a recognized cancer since, uh, about 11 years ago by the world health organization. Um, so, it, you know, they first diagnosed him with Hodgkin's started chemo, wasn't responding uh, they did another biopsy, um, and then this time, so we were at uh, one hospital. That, now they called into the University of Wisconsin Hospital and said, hey, help us with this biopsy and see what you see. Um, and that's when they found this, that it was gray zone, that it had both both attributes. Um, so they had to shift gears. And so he did one round of chemo, six cycles. Um, it's behind me. Let's move on to the you know, being a 19, 20 year old kid. And, uh, uh, the soul crushing news came that it spread. Uh, now it is in other nodes in his body. Um, and, uh, so ever since then, he's been very guarded. Right. So, um, with that, we switched and went to UW hospital, um, and, uh, started talking about stem cell transplants. And then a radiologist said, you know, there's this great other chemo that seems to be working. And they did another biopsy that showed. Uh, so there's all these cool things. Well, not cool, but um, things you learn that I didn't ever think I'd need to learn. I, I, I kind of would like to call myself a doctor now. But yeah. um, the, the cancer was a CD20 uh, strong and a CD30 wasn't as strong. And those are proteins. And that's what was um, wrong in uh, those cells. Um, well, the CD20 was now gone, but the CD30 had risen. 
and this brentuximab, this new chemo, they said, we'll put you on that. So that's what he finished up with. Um, and he went in to see the doctor and, and the PET scan and the doctor used the word remission. And my son uh, said, I don't want that. I don't want to use remission. Um, you know, not until I walk out of the hospital for the last time. Um, and I got that. I, you know, I was like, all right, I get it. You know, you don't, uh, you know, you, you've been up already high thinking you're, you're beyond it and then, and it's come back worse. So, yeah, I don't know. He's, uh, I don't know. He's my hero. He's, uh, to, to go through that. And, um, you know, the, you see the side of health nurses do all the work. Um, doctors are great. They're smart. They know what they're doing, but nurses do all the work. And, uh, we've come to be friends with a lot of those nurses on Facebook, which is not, uh, I don't think it's very HIPAA compliant, but I don't care. Um, I think you're probably and, right. Uh, what's that? I think you're probably all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're like, uh, you know, they're like, you don't know how your son's touched our lives just because he'd be in the hospital for a week at a stretch getting chemo 24 seven for six straight days. Um, and they're like, you know, he's just, he's, uh, he's a motivator. He, he's, he, he's really a fun kid to be around, very engaging. Um, but, but his spirit and his attitude is just, uh, has been just a joy to watch. And that's pretty cool to see, you know, you're like, all right maybe I did something right raising this kid for, uh, you know, 18, 19 years. Um, or it's just in his genes as well, though, that he's just a, he's a good kid and, and people want to be around him. And, um, it's, uh, you know, the folks like you, you and, and people that I know all around the world, um, rooting for him and, and, you know, sending well wishes and, and all that stuff that all those things help. Right. Um, I, I think I gotta think it, it, it helped him, uh, to an extent. Um, not something I guess I haven't had a conversation with him about, but, um, you know, I, I gotta imagine it helps you, um, if you think through it in those, some of those dark spots, but yeah, I think that, um, <clears throat> I think that, and I'm not one of the, this is going to sound really like weird and kind of crystals and, you know, metaphysical <laughs> and I'm not normal. I'm not that guy, but <laughs> I, I do believe that the, the I, that your mind um, can be your greatest weapon or your greatest enemy um, when your body is not cooperating, right? Like, like I, I, I've, I've seen people, I mean, you know, and I dealt with this with my father, you know, who passed away a couple of years ago and, you know, had a heart attack and heart, you know, open heart surgery and then got cancer and, you know, dealt with a lot of issues. And it's just like that. I just think that if you can get yourself and sometimes, and again, this is someone in the wake of my dad's death has been to tons of therapy, you know, because that's as, as, as down, that's just as dark as I've ever been. Right. Um, mm -hmm. it, but if you can be mentally up, I think that it absolutely helps. And I mean, I mean, it physically helps, right? Like I don't mean just your psyche. Yeah. I think it helps your psyche, but I think it, I think it helps your body repair and, and heal itself. Um, and to your point, like seeing, seeing all people, you know, understanding that you're, cause it seems to me like when really bad things happen, the first, the first feeling, it, and this was like with, again, I'll compare it to like my dad passing is it was as I felt very isolated, you know what I mean? Like I felt like, you know, no one in the world has ever experienced this. You know, I mean, I'm all by myself. <laughs> like there's, you know, even I've got my wife and my family, but 
they can't get inside my head and help me. And it's just, you know, and I'm, I'm sad and I'm depressed and I'm, I'm angry and there's all these things and you just sort of tend to want to close yourself in, you know what I mean? And that's like the worst thing you Mm -hmm. can do. Um, but you know, then you started to get all the people after dad, you know, reaching out and talking to me and all that kind of stuff. And it really does help put air back in the balloon, you know? And, uh, and there were days that I really needed that, you know what I mean? I really needed, like, I just couldn't keep the balloon inflated myself. And, um, and, and that's what, you know, and that's what was to me is inspiring to see, you know, as you guys went through this journey, cause you know, I know for you, you've been, you know, you had these posts where you were talking about how many hours in you were and, you know, just like what, and, and I, you know, I think part of it too is, is sort of demystifying those sorts of things. Like I, I sort of give all y'all credit for, um, it's real, right? It's a, it's real, it's happening. It's a thing, right? There's no reason to not talk about it. There's no reason to not be specific about what's happening. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that people that don't want to do that, there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, I think a lot of times that fear is, this is why I like to learn. I think it's hard to be scared of things, you know, right? The more, you know, the better. And, um, so that's one of the things that I thought was great about what you guys were doing is just like, this is what's happening. And this is the reality of it. And if you know more, you can take the the fangs off it a little bit, you know? Right. Well, I think I commend you that, that you recognized and, and saw that you needed to help and to talk to somebody about it. Right. Um, I think we have a, uh, back to politics for a second, uh, a huge problem with mental <laughs> illness in this country. Agreed. And we don't, and we, and we won't talk about it. Uh, and it's, there's, there's a, a fear that, oh, you're seeing a shrink. That's bad news or whatever. It, it, no, it's talking about it helps. You know, I, I think some of it posting was, um, was Thera- therapeutic. just as helpful to me. Very therapeutic, right? I, I, it's just, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just, the world isn't perfect. You can social media make it that way. Um, for all the world to see it, you know, we're a perfect family and we're not, you know, I, I make mistakes as a parent. I make mistakes as a, as a village president. I make mistakes as a sales manager. You know, we, we all do. Um, and being able to fess up and say, yeah, I, I, that was wrong or yeah, that was pretty great. That's, you know, uh, those things all help, uh, I think. Um, and it was a way for me to, uh, hopefully reach out and, and share um, you know, what was going on and bring awareness to it. Um, I think that's the only way, you know, things get resolved, you know, stem cells, my, my kid had a stem cell transplant. That's bad news for conservatives. You can't do it with stem cells. Um, so they could start to regenerate and reboot the system. Um, you know, now he's got to go through and get immunizations all over again, just like a, an infant would. Um, and I hope it doesn't cause autism this time around. It didn't do it the first time. I'm just sorry. Um, <clears throat> we're on the same page. Uh, there. Not making fun of autism. Please don't. No, no, right. no. I know you're making I'm fun. I'm sure of, there's going to be people making... who are going to be upset with me, but I just don't. No, you're making fun of people that yeah. think that there's something that's scientifically absolutely not true, but they act like it's true. And that is that vaccines cause autism and they absolutely do right. not. <laughs> Um, no. yeah. Yes. So, and, so and also not, too, yeah, I yeah, just, and the I hate when I have to quantify myself. No, I just no. feel like it's bad. Dude, only eight people are going to listen to this anyway. So, um, the, no, you, you've had, no, no, you've had uh, touring musicians on, you've had Tony award winners <laughs> on, and you got some schlub from Wisconsin who's just the president. It, I think you're getting more than just the eight people. No, dude, you're, you're about to blow up. You're going to be huge soon. 
Um, no. So, um, but but the other thing too that I thought was great was the way that you guys leveraged, you know, leveraged humor, which was super. Aw- I mean, the, the, because uh, you mentioned the nurses, and it's funny because I remember early on when you were poking fun at them because like there was one of the nurses was really pretty, and I saw you posting the occasional picture, like insinuating, you know what I mean? He's trying to find himself a girlfriend or whatever. And, um, you know, again, like that's just a great, I mean, you know, that's like people and I'm a humor guy, right? Like I think that laughter and those, it makes everything better. Right. Like I, I always, right. So, um, the, you know, and some people are like, well, you shouldn't be laughing right now. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like you should, (laughs) there's all, I mean, there, I chuckled, I was, I chuckled a few times giving my father's eulogy for crying out loud. Right. Cause that's what my old man would have wanted. You know what I mean? So. Um, but, uh, you know, and I also love, it's like the picture that I think everybody should do. And I know some people are all buttoned up and everything, but the picture that stands out in my mind for him, and this is when I sort of started to at least imagine what Justin's like, but also like, you know, sort of create the own character of him in my head was the first picture of the camera with just the big middle finger. You know what I mean? Like when he's, when he's starting his treatment, because like, that's the attitude, right? Like you know, again, like I've already got the explicit tag on my pocket. So it's, but it's like, fuck you cancer. Right. Like I, fuck you. Like yep. I am, I'm going to win. Right. And that's, t- I think it's totally the attitude you got to have. But like, to me, like if, if I ever found myself in this situation, I hope that that could be the kind of attitude I could have would be like, Oh, you want to fight? All right, let's fight. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, some of it, well, yeah, some of it was F you to cancer and some of it was, Stop taking my picture. <laughs> you know, his, his mother would would snap photos of him regularly, and um, you know, I would too. Then, and I'd try to sneak one in, and then, you know, down the stretch here, you know, the last number of months, he was he'd catch on, and all of a sudden, you'd look back at the picture, and you're like, oh, some of a bitch slid that finger in there. How'd I miss that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just funny. It's so great. Well, man, I just, I like I said, I I am rooting for him. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I have confidence that he's gonna, you know what I mean? Every, he's gonna, he's gonna, yep. he's gonna beat it. And, um, you know, it, and of course, if there's anything that I could ever do, all you gotta do is, is ask, but, um, you have done good. And I, I give you guys a lot of credit. I thought, think you've dealt with that situation with a lot of grace and a lot of strength and, you know, I, th- I think it, you you and he have, have all been a great inspiration. I've actually had people since that, you know, Oops. have, have had cancer diagnoses and i've said you know i've said you know you should check out like some of these posts and like this kind of because i just think you need to be in that as good a mental place as you can be i know it's not easy to be in a good mental place but it's like you just got to go on it's almost like you got to go on the attack you know yep no yeah so a guy i play softball with uh, we play in an old man league uh so last year his daughter uh so yeah i don't know i got uh, you know, I, I was down the dump, so it's September, right? It's, uh, five months after, you know, four months after diagnosis for just, um, my buddy, Sean, uh, his daughter, Maddie, uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, she had a, a tumor on her, the brainstem. And, you know, so in my mind, I was like, God, you know, just when you think you got it bad, how do you explain to a five-year-old they, they got to go through all of this stuff, Right. Um, it's just, but they do, they, they post, uh, and, and, uh, uh, Sean and, and my family, they post stuff all the time, like day 265, um, and talk about, you know, they were just talking about, uh, frustrations they had with, uh, um, getting some tests done, uh, the clinic, 
before their daughter's surgery coming up here in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, maybe uh, I'll take a little that maybe they garnered that for me, but they've gathered a lot of support in the community. You know, there's T-shirts floating around that, you know, we got Maddie Caker's back and, you know, they just did the Make-A-Wish trip to Florida. Um, and it's just cool. And it's a great, it, it's an easy way to keep people up to date, right? Um, where, you know, I find myself telling the same story uh, uh, to, to, you know, different people because they all ask, uh, which is great. I appreciate them asking. And, uh, but there's a point where you get to where you're just like, I don't want to tell the story again. There's only some way I could share this with everybody and I don't have to tell it six times. Hey, <laughs> social media perfect venue you know it's a great way to keep uh, people informed and and i come from a big family um you know my dad's one of eight right so i've got cousins scattered all over um and so it's it's easier that way to keep people up to date so there's there's advantages to it uh, just from a practicality standpoint but also i think from a, a mental health state uh, feeling that love it all helps so I appreciate it. This is fun, man. This yeah, is, this is a good time. No, we're going to do this again because like, we didn't even get to talk about football, like, because I want to talk about the green Bay Packers and, um, how I got the Lambos on my bucket list. Um, yeah. And Are the dirty uh, birds coming up here. Uh, I got, I got throwing dirty birds just cause that's, uh, I know it's cool. Um, I want to say that actually, I think we get, we're y'all are in our place again this year. Um, in the new okay. st- stadium that may not ever open. Um, uh, they're having problems with the roof. Um, 1.6 billion, dude. That's what the price tag is going to be on that thing. Um, and they still, well, I just started, read an article that the, the, the dome that the Vikings plan has issues, windows shaking loose and other stuff. And I'm like, it's a billion dollar project. How do you get something that wrong? Uh, you guys are doing it. You're dealing with it. Yeah, it's um, it's uh. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the soccer folks are all mad now because you know we just got an MLS team and they were supposed to be able to play in it, and they're I was like, um, oh. no, sorry, uh, it's not going to be uh, uh, yeah. The, well, we play you guys week two at the at the at the Benz at Mercedes Benz Stadium. Uh, it's uh, right. it's actually the uh. It's the Sunday night, the primetime game, 8.30. So you and I will have to figure out a little friendly friendly wager for that one. Um, but we'll talk some more about um, about that uh, the next time we have you on. So this is, you know, first time is always a lot of the, you know, sort of cursory stuff. Then we can just get into the, um, the, more, uh, the more fun stuff. But I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a ton of fun. Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're living life right, my friend. You're living life right. Thanks, man. You are too. All right, man. Well, uh, this is fun. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks again. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, TMIPod.com, um, also now available on iTunes. Uh, leave me some feedback. Let me know what you think. And uh, I will see you guys again in uh, a week or so. Until next time, press on. Press on.